You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Um, welcome back to another SDA uh, podcast web chat. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're, uh, I'm standing in for Matt today. Matt's on holiday and... Um, I, I'm no doubt sunning himself somewhere. He's actually texted me saying he's at some kids' um, party thing. Uh, my name's Claire Mitchell, rehabilitation and conditioning specialist. I run Get Back to Sport. I also am co-director of Joint Approach. And um, I'm super passionate about bringing evidence-based um, techniques and information um into and, and strategies into rehabilitation that, that we commonly do in sport performance but we don't get that translation into rehab very well um so that in a nutshell that's me that's you cool <laughs> and it, and it's good to see you. i haven't seen you for ages um so uh yeah since uh, i think has ther- been, yeah. uh must be therapy expo last november i think yeah so uh yeah how's your year been been okay and even that was very yeah, even that was pretty brief, wasn't it? It was a fleeting, oh, hi, we must catch up. But obviously, it doesn't happen because you're so busy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, what did you say? How's my so, year? Yeah, how's your year been? Because uh, I saw you, you'd, you'd um, just injured your shoulder and uh, you were, yeah, you were coming back from that. And ha- how's that all been? Yeah, I'm liking your chair, by the way, Mike. Thanks. You're looking really comfy there. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> probably get, probably get, yeah <laughs> it's if it all goes wrong i've got an eject button yeah <laughs> um i was yeah i think i think most people know i was um hit by a car and had um yeah a concussion and a uh stenocubicular joint um surgery and uh yes yeah, about 80 percent there maybe slightly less i think um but i'm here which is which is amazing. I no, think. it's good. It, it, it was uh, a possibility that I wouldn't be. So um, yeah, that's, that's that's good. So I'm I'm by that token, I'm having an amazing year. Yeah, yeah. It put, puts things into perspective <laughs> yeah. when you've had something like that go on. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, anyway, enough about that. <laughs> let's um, yeah, uh, let's talk are. about what we're, what we're here for. So um, it's uh, it's definitely. So, I mean, obviously, I've I've done your um, level one course and loved it. And if uh, if anybody hasn't done it, then they've got to learn um, how to swear very loudly and. Uh, They'll, they'll know what I mean <laughs> when they come on the course. They'll know what I mean. Uh, so, yes. I actually had, uh, on, on one of the courses, um, I was saying, think about somebody that, you know, something that really gets you angry. And somebody started shouting, I think it's Sophie. And the whole, <laughs> whole room started shouting, I was like, it's Sophie. Oh, dear. <laughs> Opened, <laughs> opened up a whole can of worms there for that person, yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, um, obviously, the the course that you did with us um, was all about um, all about strength training, integrating it into uh, into rehab, and um, there were some really um, there were some really key questions. And the very first question, or one of the first questions, I remember you asking. Uh, and I've seen you present and ask this as well, is what is strength? So 
over over to you. What is strength? <laughs> uh, you know what? I think as I've <laughs> as I've I've gone on and, and done more and more of this in terms of seeing more and more people and um, teach more and more people. When I ask that question, I'm getting a lot more of a refined answer. Your clinic, obviously, being the exemplar, um, you know, answer nailed it. Um, but. <laughs> Um, I'm getting a lot more refined answers from from people now. So whereas when I started doing this course and asking that question a few years ago, I'd get yeah. maybe five or six different answers, all of which weren't really specific. Um, you know, things like um, the ability to do activities of daily living, which clearly strength is important to enable to do that, but that's not the definition and that they're really important thing in getting those definitions right is so that we're working to all this towards this common and specific goal yeah so you know to be i suppose really fastidious that maximal strength is that you know maximal contractile force produced by a muscle or muscle group in a single contraction so it's what is that muscle able to produce in a, in a single very short effort yeah obviously with your own version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, that's really important, really important to, to understand because if we've got, as we said, different definitions, we've got different ideas, we're all going to be doing different things. Yeah. Um, and you can see where the kind of conflict might come, you no know, confusion. No, definitely. On, really. well, it's, um, I, I think I, I challenge that a lot as well with, um, with patients um, because uh, quite, often I get people coming into clinic and they they say that they the a previous person has told them that they're weak or they're not strong and um, and then I ask them well, um, how, how did they test it well what did they do to come to that conclusion and quite often right. um, it's like it and um, they oh they they didn't do any tests they just felt it and uh, I'm like wow okay <laughs> so uh, so you, you feel you feel someone and you feel that they're weak and that, that's such a bad message to to send to people so w what what kind yeah. of things can you do to in, in the clinic environment so you haven't got all your fancy kit um at university or whatever what what can you do in a clinic to to be able to test it yeah and i think that's a really important point mike you, you're raising there because that you know, the, the work that we're doing currently with Joint Approach, different groups of the, these individuals that have got osteoarthritis and we're doing strength training uh, interventions with these people have been waiting years for joint replacement surgery. But the, the point that's related to that is that the, the, the message that's delivered to them by those people that they respect and, and um, are influential in their, in their journey Mm -hmm. stays with them and that's coming through thick and fast so that being from a consultant saying you've got bone and bone you need a joint replacement nothing else is going to work body body that's that's their story then so you and i think it's from your perspective where you're asking people okay how, how do they know that you're weak because mm -hmm. that's them then because i'm weak i've got weak glutes i've got i've got weak a weak disposition i don't know i've got <laughs> I, i'm weak so like how how do they know that that's it's important challenge to before you do it not you but one does it with the patient so that they can question it as well and think is that valid or not yeah, yeah. um and also from a strength perspective what's really good is you can change it you can really change that doesn't have to be you for the rest of your life yeah if it is that 
you maybe not strong enough or you have some sort of disparity between sides, then you can change it. But in terms of how you assess that, um, if you don't have any dynamometry, um, I would avoid, I mean, you can do, I suppose, side to side comparisons, feeling, you know, a knee extension and you can make a judgment, a ballpark estimate of whether it feels the same left versus right. Yeah, I wouldn't be using that type of information or that that information to feed back to the patient to categorically say you're weak. Yeah, because yeah, there's it's fraught with 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 error and ridiculousness there. You know, to to, to label them as that, but it'll give you a, a subjective marker, which is fine. Mm-hmm. So the other thing then is you know, how do you start to evaluate the strength of the musculature? So if you don't have dynamometry, do you have a a resistance-based challenge that they can do. So if you haven't, you know, if you're doing a knee extension, you haven't got a, a dynamometer or a handheld dynamometer, you can fix to something, or you haven't got anything that will produce a number. And let me just say here, just because you've got a number, it doesn't mean it means anything. There's a yeah. whole um, <laughs> yeah, discussion around measurement science that we we need to have, but maybe for another time. Um, can you put them in a, a, a knee extension machine? If you can do that, then can you habituate them to produce, you know, that that one rep max? Um, if you can't get a one rep max because it's painful, and oftentimes we can't get a one rep max with patients, can they do sure. a three or a five? And if you're in that three or five rep boundary, then that's a proxy marker because that's where we want to be looking to train strength. Yeah. And again, to say that, you know, when you're assessing something, you have to be as confident as you can be that you are actually doing what, what you say you're doing or they're doing what you say you're doing, which mm-hmm. is validity. And people learning the task, being habituated to the task, being maximal in that, that, that activation is so important because if they're not, then that, that number, whatever, however you generated it, is, is useless. Yeah. Um, and let's say you've, you've done that and that's cool. And if you don't have a... Um, a resistance-based challenge, then you're going to have to get, an, as we as we move further and further away from that 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 measurement setting with with appropriate protocols and and robust um, load cells, let's say you're you're losing control over that situation, as mm-hmm. in the controllable. So the intrusion of error becomes greater. But you know, a proxy marker, what? You know, something that you would expect to increase if muscle strength increased. So with the joint approach patients, we, we can't send out dynamometers and, <laughs> and, and information how to use them for to hundreds of patients. So what we use is a, a 30 second sit to stand. Now, that's a measurement of function. It's not a measurement of strength. But, mm-hmm. you know, some of these patients, um, you know, it depends what their, their limitation is. But if somebody becomes stronger, then everything becomes relatively less maximal. So, yeah. you know, that's why endurance performance improves with increasing strength. So a long-winded answer is what do you have in terms of resources and what seems reasonable um, and challenging? If they, you know, you're doing something for, I, I don't like even 30 seconds, for example, that's not an assessment of, of strength. So we're talking short duration, high intensity stuff. If you can't get do that, then you keep working back yeah yeah what yeah. can you do and how, um, yeah that, and that, I don't know that's, if that answers the, the, the question no de- definitely and i i think that because that, that that's sometimes oftentimes the uh the difficult uh the difficult thing because you you know um we may learn one rep maxes uh we may you know three reps five reps but people 
um, people struggle with it because the people that we see have got symptoms. So then the symptoms are the limiter rather than the strength being the limiter. So um, how do we then modify that activity so that we can get at least some kind of measurement? Um, but then probably longer term, because the symptoms have reduced, then that information will be less useful. But at least we've got a baseline to, to start with. And um, uh, yeah, like, exactly. like with the joint approach, um, doing the more muscular endurance type activity is, is, is a good starting point for that population. So I think, um, basically, I guess what I'm saying is something is better than nothing. And, and like you say, just kind of putting your finger in the air, at least you've got, at least you've got something there um, to, uh, to compare against. Yeah. yeah. And as long as you understand the limitations of that measurement as well. So we're never going to get in any walk of life anything that's 100% accurate 100% of the time. Yeah. It's just statistically and it's impossible. We vary as humans from, from rep one to rep two on an isometric test, given full recovery, will not give exactly the same output. We won't. And there'll also be an error associated with the, the, the equipment you're using. Yeah. Um, but as long as you understand the limitations of those measurements and place um, appropriate weighting on them, then that's fine. And like you said, you've got a, you've got a starting point to go from. And maybe, because if you think about patients, like you just said there, it's going to be a, a milieu of things that influence that, that score, if you're able to get a score. And that will include strength. It will include pain, consciously kind of limiting performance, and subconsciously as well, relating to multi-unit recruitment and inhibition and all those things naturally feed into that, that measurement. Yeah. So as those things start to improve, then you start to get an improved um, score or improved output or whatever it is, performance. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So yeah, it's, that's, you can't, unless you're going to start to supermaxly stimulate peripheral nerves um, to, to get, like evoked contractions um, to measure in patient populations, <laughs> yeah. um, of which we've done, but it's it's not it's expensive, and, and most people probably want that to happen to them. Yeah. Um, it's um, you're not going to get that true biologic maximal because because of every why the reason they've come to see you, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, and then I guess. Um, because obviously with the title today, uh, we're looking at strength and power. So power's just for athletes though, isn't it? Oh, don't know whether you got Sorry, that. Yeah, you that's right. You just asked an amazing question then, and it <laughs> fell on deaf ears. Uh, so uh, can you hear me okay? So what, yes, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, if you can hear me all right, then, but what's the, um, uh, what's the difference then between strength and power? Okay, so it, broadly speaking, so strength, the maximal force output of a, of a muscle, muscle group, and a single contraction, so the highest score that you get. Broadly speaking, power is the speed of muscle force production. So how quickly can you generate an amount of force? Now, I say broadly speaking, because you've got different ways of which you can measure this. Now, now power 
is actually more like the external expression of the intrinsic contractile properties of muscle. So once you, you know, so if you think about what happens physiologically to generate a muscle contraction, you've got the descending drive into the musculature, you've got um, the recruitment of motor units, you've got the synchrony of firing of motor units, uh, ideally recruitment of nearly everything that you've got or preferential recruitment of fast switch, and, and then you get the force output. <clears throat> and uh, the mustering of force quickly requires that to happen um, very quickly. So fast recruitment of fast motor units and uh, quick synchrony firing and cross-bridge cycling, etc. You're not focusing on the, the maximal force output, it's how quickly that force can be generated. So at a testing level in a laboratory type setting, you're looking at the rate of force development. So it'd be the slope of that, the gradient of that force time curve. Then you layer on the human, if you like, or the rest of the human and or the task. So you, it's either, you know, if you think about power, you've got, you know, jumping automatically comes to mind, doesn't it? Yeah. So you do need good rate of force development, good rapidity of force production at the intrinsic co contractile level. But then you've got human on top of that or the whole body segment or maybe you're throwing something for the projectile as well so power is like the external expression of that and then when you come to a pragmatic level again so if we're talking about assessment of that what is it that you would assess um then it's most likely to be like the distance of something that's thrown or the height that somebody has jumped or the length of, of something so that would be the I suppose the external expression of, of, of a, a pragmatic uh, power test. Okay, and and how how would you how would you use that in in rehab? What what's the importance with um, with developing that um, power element in a rehab setting? So yeah, that's a it's a really important 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 point. So. Um, I always say strength first because if you know if anybody's done my my courses I, that, I describe that as the fuel tank so that's your capacity so if you're training power with a very low force uh, ability then it kind of doesn't really i mean you'll get some strength adaptation but you know it's a mute point really how quickly can you produce a very insufficient level of muscle force for mm -hmm. me it's all about generating and topping up that fuel tank get that that contractile machinery um you know the capacity of that topped right up then let you know if you want to go specific again let's train how to express that quickly yeah and if you think about how quickly injuries happen you know they they they, they happen in milliseconds tens of milliseconds um so we do need a, a rapid force production to think about you know letting posture if you trip over you know standing up out of a chair or um, thinking in a sporting example where you uh, land and uh, maybe the foot, uh, the surface that you land on isn't quite what you expected or you're you know, trying to avoid something. We do know, need rapidity of muscle force, activation, power, rate of force development. And that's appropriate for all walks of life. Yeah. Um, so learning how to express that force quickly is then becomes important when we're thinking about fast contractions that dynamically stabilize joints and 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 the body as well so that's for me why it's it's important one of the reasons 
from a performance perspective, then clearly you can make rationale for that as well. You know, have a hundred meter sprint or, you know, thinking about vertical jump height um, in, in, in basketball or, or whatever. It's clearly a performance um, remit, but there is equally a, a remit for um, rehabilitation and maybe the avoidance of a, a second uh, injury. Yeah. No, definitely. And, uh, well, that, that kind of brings me on to another question, actually, I had in my notes. Uh, and it was about uh, it was about the stretch shortening cycle. Uh, so obviously with a with a jump um, type activity or a jump, um, a jump test, uh, you've got a couple of different uh, jump types that you would do. Um, what what would you do differently with, say, your um, OA sort of 60, 70 year old? Um, compared to a jump athlete, why would you choose one over the other? And can you explain a little bit about what stretch shortening cycle is? Okay, so um, it comes down, I mean, first and foremost, it comes down to how much time do you have with the, the individual that, that, that you've got and what's their starting levels of capability, capacity, and then where do they want to get to? Yeah. And those all then start to form your, I mean, you know this, Mike, but, you know, the, the, you, you, you're training your rehab plan. Is it that you've mm -hmm. only got them for 12 weeks, they're really weak, and, you know, the, I, I suppose, you know, they want to be able to walk on unstable ground or they want to start to, you know, they want to go to the S&C coach and start to get back into to playing. So your remit is strength, 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 strength. In a good 12 weeks of more you know, people that are chronically deconditioned, you absolutely do. So because as well, we have, um, if you think about the physiologic determinants of strength and rate of performance, there are, there are some that are shared, mm -hmm. like recruitment of fast twitch motor units, like neural drive, like synchrony of motor unit firing. So because of that nature of, you know, if you're training strength, true strength, so that three to five rep max range, you absolutely need to recruit everything you've got to accomplish that resistance challenge. Uh, so therefore, there is some development in rate of force development in those individuals that are de deconditioned mm -hmm. um, following a strength training program. Yeah. So that's that's good to know. Um, but so from that perspective, I think, you know, the OAE, it's very rare that you get them out of that because oftentimes it's 12 weeks. It's always 12 weeks. It's 12, it's 12. <laughs> but if you're able to see them for longer, then you might start to, to do some other things that involve more rapid activations. So you know, lower the load a little bit or make it, uh, inverted commas, functional. So if that's a, a chair stand or a step up with, with extra resistance. Yeah. And the, the goal is fast rather than as much as you can. Yeah. Um, and it all it hinges on that that end goal that perform you know if it's a performance task, and it's a vertical jump athlete still are they strong enough and that and then we can have a debate what what enough is but you know is it that they've come back off a um, I don't know maybe they've had an Achilles problem and you know that you're, you're rehabbing them following that and you know you've got to get the strength back up you've also got to condition the, the non contractile tissue as well to accommodate as well as produce you know or, or take those forces and the stretch cycling which that was a good segue in <laughs> the stretch cycling um uh, uh, cycle is where you've got a 
Well, let's let's take two two jumps that you were kind of intimating there. One is a, a vertical jump and one is a counter movement jump. So the vertical jump is from a standing start. You're in a squat position with ideally knees and hips at 90 degrees. You pause there for a few seconds and then you jump up as high as you possibly can. And there's various ways in which you can measure um, vertical jump height or power if you want to convert it. Now, that's from a standing start. If you consider the individual does repeats that test, it's at this time they squat down immediately, jump back up. What you have is this um, uh, load storage, uh, sorry, storage of, of elastic, I suppose, energy and force within the, within the tissues that then recoils as you start to come back up. So that's why, or one of the reasons why, you can jump higher from a counter movement jump than you can uh, from a from a squat jump um, and, and whether you use these again it, it depends on the on the application of these types of activities it depends on the application and you know you're rehabilitating to or, or what aiming for in terms of a, of a goal yeah and would you would you choose a different method of jump depending on an injury that the person has had so if they had more of a uh, um, a tendon injury, MTJ, thesis or something like that, would you change? Obviously, it's it's rehabbed and they're able to do the jumping now. But would you would you bias one jump over another to try and target certain tissues? Can you do that? Or is it not possible to, uh, to do it in that way? I think it, that will come down to your clinical reasoning. What is it that you need to build resilience in? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and what tissues so again strength first strength yeah. first strength first get their strength into the tissues get their tendon you know more accommodating to to load and less uh, tolerating of load um uh, become a stiffer system then you start to to introduce the, the rapidity of loading and stretch shortening cycling cycles perhaps but just a, a point on that <clears throat> You can get the same, if not, and sometimes better, increases in vertical jump height by doing training uh, mid-thigh rack pull versus a plyometric program. Yeah. So it's not just about jumping to increase jumping. Yeah. You know, what are you doing each exercise for? So what's if you think about the strengths and limitations of resistance and, and plyometric activities. So um, let's take plyometrics. You're, you're often, um, and, and you can grade these and progress them to, to quite decent uh, intensities, but your limiting factor is your body mass or how much you feel comfortable in holding <laughs> in your hands or on your, on your, on your back in a, in a weight spread. Um, that's, that's the limiting factor. Whereas, um, so you're, you're limiting the overload, but your, you know, the, the, pros of that is that your speed of or velocity of of contraction will be greater if you've yeah. got a lighter load mm -hmm. um take that to a resistance-based setting where you've got this mid-thigh rack pull and to describe that you're basically in a power rack the uh there's a, an olympic bar in front of you kind of about kind of mid shin level, level and it's weighted uh, anywhere between i don't know 50 to 70 percent of you you want rep max your aim is to um, lift that up to mid-thigh as quickly as possible. So it's an explosive activation. It, yeah. it includes all of the posterior chain, all the lower, lower limb 
segments and the the feet the aim is feet off the fly what happened generally because it's, it's it's too heavy yeah but you can see already you're able to overload the system a lot more versus body mass so whilst you're not jumping what you are doing is developing explosive force production in all the musculature that contributes to vertical jump height yeah so, that so in, what's, in, the, what's intention. the goal is it yeah is it that that, that intention to jump is really key Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You know, the one of the or the fundamental difference between and we talk about this in the the, the power coach um, I've just enrolled to um, the fundamental difference between training for strength and training for power is exactly what you said. It's the intention to be explosive. Mm. Now, whether or not that what you see externally looks fast will clearly be limited by how much mass you're trying to shift yeah. but that doesn't matter it's not a strength effort where you're just grinding it out and it takes three seconds and you know it doesn't really matter no the intention is to be explosive yeah and that really is a useful cue a really useful cue uh for people to to you know enhance that explosive force production yeah brilliant and um i think one of the one of the things that was really really stuck in my mind after the session we did with you was um and you've mentioned it already is uh about um how we get that information from from the brain um through to the muscles that you want to activate and and that emd uh that electromechanical delay and that being one of the key um key issues with with injury see i did learn something so, <laughs> so um, I was I was definitely listening. I'm uh, the best, mate. <laughs> so, uh, could, could you? Um, you should be talking about this, not me. <laughs> Don't do that to me. Uh, yeah, do, do you want to explain a little bit more about that? Because I, I thought that was one of the key uh, key things about about injury rehab and and how strength training can play a part. Sure. So, if we think about if we take. What happens at the muscle site? So um, we're forgetting information processing, i.e. you're responding to a cue of some sort that, that's threatening. We're forgetting the transmission of the signal through the peripheral and uh, central and peripheral nervous system. We're at the muscle site now where we've received instruction that that muscle needs to contract mm -hmm. bloody fast, <laughs> let's say, and strong. So. So inherent with every skeletal muscle is this delay time. There's a time delay between the electrical activity commencing in the musculature, which we're able to detect through surface electromyography, um, and the initiation of, of force production. So that's very, you know, it's, it's a minuscule amount. It's just initiation of force. It's not meaningful yet, but it, it shows that there's a, the, the force has started be, to be produced. And there's a delay, there's a lag time there. And as I said that happens in every skeletal muscle and the importance of this. So, you know, a, a good inverted commas delay or a quick delay in, in, let's say, recreational athletes for the quads might be something like 30 milliseconds. Now, if it takes around about 300 milliseconds to blink your eye, then you're probably going, what's the, what's the point in thinking about this? It's just so small. Yeah. Well, it is really important because actually... Let's think of a couple of rationales. One, we look at ultra high speed filming of ACL injuries um, in handball. Um, it might take between 40 to 80 milliseconds from the point of foot contact on the floor to 
you know, pop goes to the ACL. So that's pretty quick. Yeah. Now there's a lot going on there, but but just to illustrate the, the the point of time and temporal matters being important. Um, the other thing to say is this delay is hugely changeable. I mean, hugely changeable. So following, let's take ACL injury, for example, um, I've seen that delay increase to 150 plus milliseconds um, with ACL injury, with other injury, even with muscle damage. So you've got that, that um, sore feeling a couple of days after you've done some novel exercise that can really influence the, the speed of muscle force mm. initiation as well. Yeah. So this thing get, gets really, really long, can do. Um, but by the same token, we can train it to get shorter. And that's a part of that explosive force production. It becomes very, very difficult to disentangle that from, from force production in a, in a standard clinical setting, unless you have, and this is where you need, you know, excellent dynamometry and you need electromyographic um, systems and you need them to integrate and have um, you know, kind of phase like between processes of the processing of signals, mm -hmm. it's something that you, you can't really measure, but it still happens. And being cognizant of that is really important and it will develop with this explosive force production. So the majority under most circumstances, the majority of that delay is due to the slack and the compliance in the tissues and non-contractile tissues in series with muscles. So that's like the tendon, the tendon aponeurosis. Mm -hmm. So if you have a very deconditioned tendon, then you're reeling in all that compliance before you start to pull on, you know, to, to initiate force production and then the force production kind of being passed to bone uh, for movement. Yeah. Um, if you have a much stiffer tendon, stiff systems are great. You know, stiff system, you've got very little compliance to reel in. Um, so that happens quick, more quickly. The component is that fast twitch motor unit activation and, and synchrony of firing. So if you're deconditioned or let's, let's just take endurance athletes and older people versus um, younger people who maybe are sprint athletes, mm -hmm. there's a difference in profiles of this, this delay between the two. Because, you know, endurance, much slower. The train more, the slow twitch motor units versus kind of uh, speed athletes train more speed <laughs> it makes yeah. sense yeah yeah and as we decondition we preferentially lose capacity of that fast twitch motor unit capacity so therefore one of the changes that we see is that electromechanical delay um getting longer but it's changeable you know it's mm -hmm. changeable that's a good yeah. thing yeah brilliant and uh, if um so but we, what would you um let, let's say it's uh, it is someone that's um, in their older years. Um, they're worried about tripping. Maybe they've done it before. Uh, worried about doing it again. How wh how would you progress them into those more powerful activities? What what would um, I mean? Obviously, it's you know it's going to be variable, and and you say you say it depends, and of course it depends. But um, in your mind, what what's your kind of a general progression that you would do with you know, who's in her 70s who's, who's had a bit of a fall? So again, focusing on strength and um, increasing that as much as we possibly can. And that might take a while for somebody to get into that, that mindset of doing things that are quite challenging and, and heavy. Yeah. Um, and getting the confidence to do that. Uh, concomitant side of that then you know these people 
if we're taking this type of profile, oftentimes their balance is, is you know, the proprioception, sensory motor performance is, is quite poor as well. So you might find that a single leg balance task is really, really challenging. Yeah. So we'd, I'd probably do the, the, the two, not at the same time, but kind of separated out um, and look to improve those. Then if you're thinking down the line, if or if you've got somebody who's a little bit more capable, more uh, steady, you can push on a bit further. I'd be, you know, if you think maybe a fall occurs or somebody's getting up out of a chair. Yeah. A progression of a um, an exercise to, in a control situation, trying to elicit explosive force production, and it's relative, right? It's relative to that person might be a step forward as they lean forward they're changing the center of mass and they just need to quickly step forward okay. it's not very frightening it's not very challenging and that's something you can progress um and then it might be a couple of steps and then you might be able to work up from that to initiation of a little bit of a jump two-footed jump find a banister and you can progress on from that and then may, or maybe a step off the bottom stair and a lot of this, I think, is about confidence too, um, as well as you know when you're saying before about about pain and and we're talking about inhibition. It's it's you know we've lost that capacity if we do nothing about it, preferentially to fast twitch motor units. So if we've got high velocity muscle contractions at a low intensity, actually that is a there's a preferential or greater recruitment from that fast twitch capacity, and that's what we're trying to build. So get the foundations in strength built first. Think about what it is that's going to um, have greatest efficacy in, in, in stability work that doesn't feel threatening and challenging and is doable. And then from that, where can you progress to? And it doesn't have to be really complicated or mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of scary for them. You know, that step forward at, you know, is, is something that could be quite efficacious. And then you're thinking about, well, can we get them with a, a loaded backpack and you know there's all manner of places you can go with it yeah yeah i've got, I've got a um a lady that i i see we've been working on this quite a lot and uh we use a waitrose uh carrier bag and uh, <laughs> uh yes. lo unilateral loading uh with, with uh um st stepping over objects and doing little little like um quick steps that kind of thing um but uh yeah try trying to make it like she's at the shops and then she trips over a paving slab you know is that, is that that's the kind of thing that i'm trying to recreate so, but well i've been it's taken a while yeah, to, get, exactly. to get her to that to that point but, uh, we, you can tell we're, we're posh around where we come from yeah. Leslie. We, we we've got waitrose yeah <laughs> uh so i've just had a couple of people make some comments so uh, leslie campbell uh, said trying to get my 86 year old mother to do exercise is bad for her blood pressure <laughs> yeah bad for her mother's blood pressure or hers uh and uh alistair uh, cunningham from uh, up in liverpool there Lo love that delay is highly changeable i've got a dad's sports day 100 meter race next year um and obviously cannot disappoint the kids you need to start training now al for that one 
Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they get very competitive. Yeah. Uh, so Ev said, that's such a great question. Uh, constantly trying to keep things interesting with my older, less steady clients. So thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. And if anybody else has got any questions, just pop, pop them through. Um, that would be great. So I'm uh, conscious of time because obviously we, we started a little bit later. So uh, um, we'll, we'll have to... Um, finish uh shorten it a little bit but um yeah we've got um uh i've got on my list of questions as well um a bit about program design so um another thing that i remember you talking about which was really useful again was um about where where the heck do you start so you know you've never prescribed exercises before you're not really sure what to do um, you've create you've worked out what someone's let's say 10 rep max is so we can get them going on an endurance program um, but um, how many exercises do you do how many sets how many reps um, how do you choose all that stuff uh, and, and again I know it's it's very um, the, the kind of answer is it depends but um, have you got a bit of a kind of structure of of how you would you would start people and then progress people through what what kind of things would you be uh, would you be looking at there um so it really it does really depend on that person i have to have to say that don't i uh, <laughs> but how you know understand what what's going to get done right that's the first thing so it's pointless going i've got the best program in the world and none of it gets done because they hate it or for some reason that you've not bothered to or had the chance to ask them about. So that's the first thing is getting that report. Sometimes it's super easy, really, really easy. Brilliant. They've come to you for a reason. They're already go, let's say, to the gym. It's fab. That's just easy as. If it's somebody that, that hasn't, like take your um, old lady that you were describing there who is who's fall um is prone to falling then i would hazard a guess that she's not a regular gym goer and there's that huge buy-in period at the start so that first interaction with with patients you know i honestly don't care what they do <laughs> yeah. to a point in that first session i just want them to come back for a second and and start that change in behavior mm -hmm. um Clearly, I care. I care, but I don't care if I don't get exactly everything done that I want to get done. Because, you know, some for some people, too many exercises, and that might be three, is is that's the difference at that that point in time of of doing some and none. So it might it's to understand what they feel comfortable with, how knowing how much you can push them, and that comes with experience. Yeah, uh, and there's no formula for that. I, you know, I work with a psychologist and, you know, there's, there's several strategies you can use. Ultimately, you know, there isn't a, a set formula because we're all individual, unique, and, and that's a fabulous thing. Um, but ultimately, what if, if, as I said, strength first, then, then power or rate of force development, I'd be, you know, to opt, optimize that interaction, um, that programming would be focused on achieving a minimal dose of repetitions per muscle group per week in my view and again in the courses that you know obviously the one that, that we did at your clinic and the strengthening for and um, strength and conditioning for therapists online we talk very much about this dose response what's the minimal 
dose that you could give somebody to elicit a, a physiologic effect over a period of time. And I've worked that out to be around about 25 to 45 repetitions per muscle group per week mm-hmm. at that five rep max intensity. So it has to be high intensity. And again, it's going to take people, some people, a longer time to get to feel confident and comfortable at pushing that intensity. With the clinical population, you need to find ways in which to adapt the exercise, not lower the load to account yeah. for symptoms. Do you go full range? Do you go isometric? Do you go eccentric? Do you go open kinetic chain or closed kinetic chain? There's a multitude of ways you can adapt exercise to maintain specificity without compromising on the, the, the load and um, and that you know stimulus that you want to develop. So that would be what I'd would aim for. And then look around you. What what have you got <clears throat> logistically? to be able to do that for, for that particular muscle group. If, you, if you've got a lot of kit around you and uh, they're, you know, habitual gym goers, that's perfect. You can probably give them something they're able to complete on their own time. Uh, if it's somebody that's less familiar, I'd start with machine-based exercises if you're able or at least then downgrade some of the complexity of, of the exercise challenge in the first instance mm-hmm. to again make make sure they feel confident comfortable and you can elicit that overload so leg extensions or knee extensions to be precise they're fa- fantastic you know any machine-based exercise is fantastic you can load people up and they're very safe but if you don't have that um you can work isometrically you can generate stuff um very easily to work isometrically but then it will come into probably if you've got a um, dumbbells or you've got an Olympic bike, it can become compound quite quickly. Mm-hmm. How do you downgrade that challenge to make it feel less safe? So you wouldn't start somebody on who's never gone to the gym before on a barbell back squat and turn them into an inverted pendulum. It's <laughs> a disaster waiting to happen. Um, but what you can do is, you know, if you're still working the lower components, you know, are you picking something up off the floor? The disaster happens you just let go it's, yeah. it's that easy you know yeah so just thinking about the complexity of that exercise yeah that that critical dose i don't i like what you said there no, i'm um correct me if i if i misheard it but um the uh it's the intensity that's the key so you try to adapt the exercise to maintain that intensity um so that that adaptation occurs is that right so you wouldn't want to get them on like a yellow theraband doing 100 reps you'd rather do them like heavy isometrics rather than going full full range for that strength gain yeah yeah absolutely absolutely because if you move away from that hands you've changed the stimulus and you're not doing what you said you were doing you do you've identified in that instance that strength is important the first thing people think about when they go, oh no, it hurts when I do that. Um, clinically, it's fine, but oh no, no, it hurts there. Okay, let's lower the load so it doesn't hurt so much. Hang on a minute. Why? 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 Why have you lowered the load? Yeah. If they need to get stronger, lowering the load is going to compromise that interaction, compromise that stimulus and adaptation. What can you do before you lower the load to keep that specificity and that, and that high intensity? Yeah, brilliant. Notice I've gone a little bit dark here. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's, uh, that's great. Yeah, and the isometrics are great for that in that early stage um, because they're, they're in control of that. It's nice Absolutely. and safe. They can change the angle. And um, yeah, that, uh, we've got a really cool piece of kit. We've got one of the lads in my clinic is doing a S&C degree 
and um, he's got um, one of those, um, it's a, like a pull dynamometer, so it's an Exergo, I think it's called, and uh, you, you can... Um, uh, you can hook it up to just a, a fixed object and, and just pull it as hard as you can and it will give you a readout. And uh, yeah. so we, we can get really, really good estimates of, uh, of one rep max. Well, we can get one rep maxes but because they can just pull as hard as they can and they're not yeah. going to go anywhere. Um, so, so something like that is 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 really, really cool. Um, it's a great it's a great bit of kit. They're, they're pretty, they're, well, they're not hugely expensive. They're a couple of hundred quid, but the, the kind of information that you get from it um, is it helps just set up that program for, from the beginning and it's been really really useful so, um, uh, as well as the, the handheld dynamometers um, that yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you talk and that about also, for. I was just saying that delay forgive me I was just saying yeah. as well with that with that um, numeric as well um, it gives you a marker of, of the forces that they're outputting as well and gives them a goal so you can use it for a testing situation and with a different application you can use it for a training situation so mm. um, you know you get somebody to push push maximally you need them to push maximally um and you just um, you just have to rely that's going to happen don't you yeah. if you've got a, a number that you can see that most people will respond positively to that um so it'd be a good motivational tool as well no definitely definitely and um i've, I've just realized it's just sneaked past nine o'clock so uh uh, we're we're going to expect a uh, a two thousand word essay from everybody about the differences between strength and power uh, on on your desk by next Monday. <laughs> I'm not I'm not marking them. <laughs> uh, Claire, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. And uh, apologies about the beginning, um, but we did get to chat in the end, and it was really really good. Uh, really enjoyed that. Flew by. It was great. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Nice to see you again. It's been a, a long time. Uh, I expect to be in therapy um, expo again when we see each other for sure. Probably. Well, definitely there, hopefully before. All right. You take care. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.